Informed consent, getting to yes, is editorially independent content supported with advertising by Johnson & Johnson Vision. Welcome to Informed Consent, Getting to Yes. I'm Marguerite McDonald of the Ophthalmic Consultants of Long Island and Oceanside, New York. And today we're going to change the format a little bit. Instead of talking to key opinion leaders about how they speak to patients to get them to agree to a proposed regimen, whether it's a new drug and an office procedure or a premium IOL, for instance, we're going to talk about telemedicine and in particular, telemedicine for the dry eye patient. So I've got two experts with me today. We have Rania Habash. Dr. Habash is a consultant for Microsoft and chief medical officer for Everbridge. She is also an assistant professor of ophthalmology and medical director of the technology innovation unit at Bascom Palmer Eye Institute at University of Miami. Welcome, Rania. Thank you. And we also have Dr. Bill Trattler. He is Director of Cornea at the Center for Excellence in Eye Care in Miami, Florida, which is widely recognized as one of the very premier private practices in ophthalmology in the world. Welcome, Bill. Thank you. So it's I've been doing telemedicine since the pandemic started, and we all kind of shut down and went to uh, just a skeleton crew. And it's my impression that it's easier to do a dry eye exam via telemedicine than say a retina exam or a glaucoma exam. What do you all think? Rania, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, uh, telemedicine lends itself best to things that you can see just with the video. Um, but you can actually tell and see way more than you think. Um, as far as, I'll just uh, hit sort of the, the retina and glaucoma use cases first, but um, you know, with those, it's a simple, how's your floater doing? Do you have more floaters? Do you have some flashes of light? Oh, I see you're, you're telling me you have a veil coming over the side of the vision. Okay, <laughs> maybe we should bring you in. You know, So it's, it's stuff like that where I think in the first day of med school, we learned that 99% um, of our decision-making actually comes from the patient anyway, from a conversation with the patient. So in those realms, I realize it's a little bit harder to do um, an actual exam, but I do still think you garner a lot of information just by talking to the patient. Yeah, I agree with Ryan 100%. I mean, I think we've actually been doing telemedicine for our whole careers because patients call up, you, you prescribe them a treatment for their dry eye, and they call you a month later saying they're not happy or there's an issue, and you talk to them over the phone, what's going on, how you're doing, and that's telemedicine. We're communicating with the patient, listening to what they have to say, asking important questions, and then making our suggestion for the patient to do next until they actually come to physically see you. And that's all we're doing again here with telemedicine, except we may be incorporating video and some other uh, aspects. You know, in your um, two wonderful Ascaris uh, telemedicine webinars, Rania, you mentioned um, that some docs are even teaching their patients to palpate their eyeball and give a gross estimate as to the pressure. And it was something about comparison to pieces of fruit, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, the disclaimer here is I'm not a big fan of that because <laughs> I, I don't want a patient, and I said this during the webinar, I don't want a patient palpating their eye and saying, well, I, I think it feels more like a cantaloupe than a grape. So uh, I just don't want that kind of, you know, misconception. But yes, that's, that is one of the things that 
that doctors are telling their patients to do to assess IOP. Um, and then also, uh, there are lots of vision checks out there that people are trying to do. But I think the main point here that I want to impart is this is a paradigm shift in our thinking. We have to kind of, you know, find other cues in order to make an assessment about a patient, you know, and uh, we, we need to think of this more like wartime medicine. You know, if, uh, if we were on the battlefield and we had to like assess a patient really fast, we wouldn't pull out Ishihara plates to, to ask them to do, right? So <laughs> this is kind of the same mentality. We just need to make a, a quick assessment about whether or not this patient needs to come into the ER or not. As cornea anterior segment uh, experts, do you or Bill, do you do telemedicine for dry eye now? Yes. So I think that the main difference, again, is we've been doing telemedicine for years. We just haven't been charging patients or charging right. insurance. We've been talking to our patients on the phone. We're communicating with them um, all the time. I mean, I, I'm sure we all have gotten so many calls over the years. So we're doing the same thing. We're just being more organized, putting in, uh, entering the information a little bit more in detail in our, in our medical records, and you can bill it now. So I think that's the main difference. Do you have your patients uh, either fill out in advance or verbally or somehow go through one of the quick little psychometric questionnaires about dry eye? Like the speed test or, or do you do it verbally with them once you've engaged? I mean, I, I feel like the simpler, the better. I, I do think um, I do think that over time, you know, we'll refine the process of the telemedicine visit um, where we can add clarity things like like apps to check, you know, to check visual acuity or, you know, Amsler grid or that sort of thing. Um, but for right now, yeah, I, I just talked to the patient. I mean, I think that the dry eye exam is probably the easiest thing in the world to do via video just by talking to the patient. And then you can clearly see a lot about what's going on in the eye. You know, if they tell you their eye is red and irritated, it's very easy to see. Are they having, um, you know, an allergic conjunctivitis or, uh, or some sort of a conjunctivitis? Is it more that horrible ectropian with scleral show that they're having? <laughs> Is it the recent eyelid surgery where they're, you know, they, they've got a bunch of scleral show? Like that, those are all um, symptoms and signs that we can work with to make a really good assessment. And then you follow that up with, okay, well, what have you tried? Um, how about putting in artificial tears? Oh, you mean everything gets better after you put in the artificial tears? Okay, well then this is the next route we're gonna go. Um, and so it is kind of, um, the dry eye exam is just the easiest of all exams to do this way. Right. Now, most of my dry eye patients, and at OCLI, I'm the director of the Dry Eye Center of Excellence, the established ones that are doing great that just call in for a renewal of their medicine, their Restasis, Sequa, Zydra, whatever, that gets handled by the skeleton crew of techs. They don't even talk to me. And most of the patients that are established and stable are just going to wait to come see me when all this is over with, the pandemic. But the ones who are really suffering do reach out. And um, most of them are older. And I've found that most of them can deal with an iPhone photograph of their eye. But much more than that, the older patients get confused. What has your experience been? Right. Well, I think I, I might, I agree that um, certainly I've been surprised that some of my older patients are happy to even try the iPhone video and FaceTime because they've done it with their family members, but most have not. But I don't think the dry exam needs the video. I mean, what I agree that the eye exam is important, but actually the history and discussion, you can learn so much from a patient and really at least get patients started in the right direction. I think we have to remember, Ryan and Great some, share some great pearls on different symptoms, but 
the symptom that we also see a lot is the patients that are asymptomatic but have fluctuation in vision. So we can't forget that one. But I think if you just go, like as Rodney had suggested, just ask all those questions, you can come up with a treatment plan for today, follow up in a couple of weeks, see how they did, and then we could always modify each time you speak to them on how they're doing, how their symptoms are getting better. This is a great tool. Telemedicine is a great tool for our dry patients. For the patients that are willing to somehow share an image with you, uh, do you ask them to pull down their lower lid and take a snap up close or start the video up close? What, are, what exactly do you tell them to do, Bill? Well, so, I mean, most patients, you know, when they, I guess they take a picture of their eye itself and you can see in their palpebral fissure, the, the conjunctiva, is, it obvious, is there obvious injection? But I think a lot of dry patients don't have significant redness. They have, you know, they have maybe a tinge of redness. It's not much. It's, you know, if we were able to examine them on a slit lamp exam, we'd see they'd have a rapid tear breakup time. They might have a little bit of corneal staining. They might have a little bit of blepharitis or MGD. These are all subtle things that are maybe hard to pick up on a typical, you know, photo. So that's why we have to rely more on history and then also the experience of how patients do on, on our, on our regimen we prescribe. Rania, I know that Bascom Palmer has this uh, amazing remote control slit lamp uh, where the patient goes to the office, but you're not there, but the tech puts them at the slit lamp. Have you been using that technology? Yeah, but it's not, it's not even that necessary in all honesty. I mean, I agree with Bill that um, you know, a, a history just on the phone is actually just fine. The, the reason I really like to do the video exam and kind of push them a little bit to, to make sure that they are for the video exam is because it may be a little bit difficult for some of them at first, but I'll tell you, like with this whole pandemic, they're all getting way better at Zoom calls and FaceTime calls and that sort of thing because they've had to, it's out of necessity. Um, but uh, when I'm able to connect with them face-to-face -face on a video call, not only do I get to see a little bit better, um, even though, like Bill said, you can really do a great exam just with the history itself, but I do it actually more just to connect with the patient you know, those patients are in isolation right now. They're not talking to many people. Like this is basically their one, you know, uh, this, this is their one interaction with like another human being all day. And they really love it. And I just find that that interaction alone just helps them so much. Um, I've always been a proponent that like 30% of medical improvement is actually the placebo effect. Um, and I think this is where it, I, I, that is so true. And it, I feel like it really comes into play here when you're positive and they can see your smiling face on the other end um, and when you can give them some encouragement. So that's, that's kind of more the reason why I push for the video um, call instead. You know, that's so true. There was a study about eight years ago showing that 15% of all Medicare visits to doctors are due to loneliness. And now it's just so much worse. Yeah, exactly. Right. The, do you, we have to get permission to do telemedicine now. And I think it's wonderful because we're getting paid for things we used to do for free for many years. But I, I find it's a little awkward. What's the best way to ask gracefully? Because these patients are used to receiving care for free over the phone or, you know what I mean? This is something new for them too. How do you gracefully say, we're going to invoice you for this. Is that okay with you? Well, I know at my end, what I'm explaining is that I know you sent me just a quick call, but I'm really going to enter this all into the medical record. So we're going to actually do an online visit. And so it is something we call a telehealth visit. And I explained that the process means I'm going to ask the history and be a little more detailed, but it's going to go all in the medical records and we're saving all this information more than, so it's not just a telephone call. It's more than a telephone call. 
and try to explain that and uh, get their permission to do that. And I do let them know that we do bill insurance uh, for the call. And oh, you mentioned that. Good. Yes. Yeah. Is that yeah. pretty much what you say, Rania? Something along those lines? Yeah, I mean, look, I never, I never think it's a good idea for a physician to get involved in the insurance talk um, at all. So I, I would like to, I, I always try to have a buffer as much as possible. And that's how we've set it up at Bascom is um, we have them scheduled properly and then they are logging in through my chart, which I, I realize a lot of practices might not have, but um, you know, the point is to have a buffer of some sort. And so our administrator gets insurance information or verifies it all and then confirms their appointment and says, okay, you have an appointment tomorrow with Dr. Habash for a video call. Let me help you get set up. And also just so you know, this is going to go through your insurance like a regular visit um, due, due to these pandemic circumstances now. And that's it. So something as simple as that. See, the way we're set up right now at OCLI, um, I check my Oakley mail uh, constantly and I'll I'll get a message, Mrs. Smith needs to talk to you about this, this, and she's got eye pain, blah, blah, and here's her phone number. And I can log on to her chart uh, from home, but um, it's sort of up to me to say something. So um, I like the way you said that, Bill, since I'm the one who has yes. to present this information. Yes. The, um, and when they send images, of course, you store them in EMR, both of you, I would assume? Yeah, that's the best medical legal way to do things. Um, and going back to your question, you know, I also get a lot of email requests too, but I still try really hard to have my secretary respond and say, um, Dr. Habash thinks she can help you better with a formal, you know, video visit, and these are the instructions. Um, but if you can, you can still create that barrier even if they they email you directly. And then the last ditch, um, if I'm responding to an email, is. Um, by the way, this will go through your insurance just like a regular office visit due to these pandemic times. Right. Well, I will say that the, the main challenge we have is that many offices and practices have actually unfortunately had to furlough their employees. So we're really on a skeleton staff. So we don't have quite the, the, the number of people in our office to help us. Um, so even like, you know, many of the doctors in my office, including myself, we're working up a lot of our own patients. We don't, just because we have to really right now um, minimize costs to make sure we make it through this challenging time. So. Um, I love, Ronnie, your suggestion, but for other practices where the doctor has to call, I think just trying to explain it, but also they're going to be on the phone a little bit longer, whether it's video or not, because they're entering the information into the medical record. So the patient will also understand this is, a, this is not the typical three-minute phone call. This is a much more detailed call overall. Yeah, I like how you put it, where you said, we're going to document all this into the medical record. I think that makes them feel better, and then that, that does show value um, in the visit. Right. And it, it shows that it's a more formal encounter. Exactly. Yes. Than just hey, how you doing? When when they say when can I see you again? <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a hard one to answer. And I've been saying, you know, if if I feel that they're really stable and they don't need to come in, I'll say we all have to play this by ear, and it seems that it's going to be state by state. Um, and I I'll say you know just periodically try the office, but as soon as you hear that our state or our region is opening you can assume we'll be open too, and we'll be glad to see you as soon as possible. How do you respond to that? I, I agree. Right now, we really don't know. And so I always tell patients, you know, kind of like we were saying, if, if it's important that we're still seeing our urgent and emergency patients, so if a patient with dry eyes is just miserable, maybe they've somehow developed an abrasion overnight or, you know, sometimes they're really in pain, they can come see us. We have, myself and other doctors are available to see them. 
for emergency and urgent cases. But for now, it was just relatively, you know, something that could be controlled over the phone with a, with a video conference call, telemedicine call. Let's try to do that for now. We could do a follow-up, as Ronnie suggested, by making it a little more formal. And I think you guys are mentioning that you can actually put a, a telemedicine, telemedicine visit on the schedule a month from now and say, let's do a follow-up formal visit um, and be organized. Actually, who knows, six months from now, even when your office is open, you might have a morning or an afternoon a week that you're just doing telemedicine calls. And I know that Rania has been sharing a lot of information on that. And do you think, uh, Rania and Bill, do you think that these, that going forward will be in a way like the attorneys, every time you interact with an attorney, they start the clock, <laughs> how many minutes they're spending with you, a half an hour, an hour, whatever. I guess going forward, uh, we'll maintain the ability to bill for all the things we used to do for free. Usually it takes me an hour a day to answer all the calls and interact with all the people who tried to reach me from outside the office. Do you think we'll be able to do this going forward? Or will it go back to the old way where we just did it all for no charge? No, not only I think the same, I think the other thing that's interesting is that insurance actually will cover, call, you know, Marguerite, not that you ever need to call me for advice, but you know, if you know you have a if you ask another doctor for advice outside of your practice, there's actually ways to bill for your request of information from a provider. And also, if you give advice to a provider, which we've never ever done, we're always so used to doing that, giving that for free and taking our time about our patients. But Ryan has shared a lot of information about doctors who are communicating, spending their valuable time trying to help a patient with a patient on in front of them can actually bill insurance and appropriately get paid or compensated for all this extra work they're doing on their own time. Well, I've done that twice already, if billing for an interaction with another doctor, but what I'm afraid of is the insurance companies, as soon as the pandemic is sort of under control, they'll say, ah, that's over. Or do you think it's here for good? You know, um, I think we've been through this because I've been actually at this telemedicine, you know, game for over four years now. And, um, you know, we have been successful in certain areas if we're trying to show um, like an ROI for the insurance companies. You know, we, we've been, we've had groups of physicians, for instance, who have done telemedicine visits. And then we presented all that to the insurance companies. And we've said, these are, you know, all the visits that would have gone to the emergency room and run up the bill, you know, for healthcare and for, you know, uh, but instead they were able to be seen by telemedicine for this amount instead. So, you know, if you can show an ROI, um, then I think that they will be, you know, able to listen to that. And I, I really think that with this whole pandemic, the, the um, CMS will also learn that there were so many patients who didn't get sick because they didn't have to go to the hospital or to the ER or to one of our clinics um, and could stay home and get care. So, um, I think it's just going to be a matter of just showing the evidence and, you know, the evidence speaks for itself which is, you know, we've been able to keep a lot of patients outside of our doors um, and just help them pretty significantly, you know, uh, just from home. So hoping that they listen to that and, and take that as a sign of the times. Rania, if you don't mind, would you share with us the story about how you got into all this? It's a fascinating <laughs> story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's so funny how one fateful day can just change your whole career, huh? Um, so uh, I was in private practice like Billy, and um, I was seeing patients one day in my office, and uh, the ER doctor, I was on call at the hospital, he said, uh, Habash, we need you down here right away. There's a patient with an orbital fracture. Get down here right away, you know? <laughs> and I said, well, there's like patients in my waiting room, so I can't. Um, so either the patient waits like four hours, um, or you send me a 
text me a picture of the CT scan and um, we'll do a quick FaceTime call with the patient, which we did. And we learned um, within about 30 seconds, the patient wasn't entrapped, didn't need to go, didn't need to stay at the hospital, could leave on oral antibiotics and come see me. Um, I hung up my phone, went about my business, didn't think anything of it. Um, but then the, about two days later, the compliance officer at the hospital called me and said, what the heck do you think you're doing? She actually didn't say heck. <laughs> she said, you're going to get us a $1.5 million fine for what you did. It's not HIPAA compliant. I said the same thing that any doctor would say, which, you know, I just helped a patient. So I actually thought you were calling to congratulate me, <laughs> but instead she was berating me. Um, and uh, I said, well, how did you find out about this anyway? And she said, oh, that's easy. The ER doctor was so happy he got off through the consult on a patient so fast. He told everybody and it got back to me. Um, so anyway, long story short, you know, my, my response was, well, this is BS. You know, there has to be a better way for us to communicate around our patients and help our patients um, that doesn't involve all these bells and whistles and logins and portals and all this other stuff. You know, we need to be able to do it very simply. Um, so I got my brother, who's a Microsoft software engineer, um, at the time he was, and uh, we wrote software that was HIPAA compliant. Um, I designed it and he wrote it, but it was so simple and easy to use because it was designed by a physician. And that's like the one thing that's different from every other piece of software we use. Like, it's like they don't even ask the doctor what we want. So when we were able to um, design something that was just ridiculously simple, my one caveat to him was, if it takes more than one brain cell to use, I'm not going to use it and neither will anyone else. So we made it really simple. Put it on the App Store and Google Play. It became one of the top used apps, according to Becker's Hospital Review. And then our company got acquired by a global communications company called Everbridge, which is the same company that sends all the Amber Alerts and all the emergency notifications that you get on your phone. So I've been working with them as the chief medical officer uh, for that company for like four years now, as well as being at Bascom. <laughs> uh, and you left, obviously, after that, you left private practice and joined Bascom, right? Right. So when your brother first wrote the software, was it for ophthalmology only or for general medicine or? Nope. It, it was like iMessage or FaceTime, but HIPAA compliant. And people would ask us, they'd say, oh, can we use this for dermatology? Can we use this for orthopedics? Can we use this for neurology? And I'd say... It's just like language. You can use it for anything. You know, it's like, it's like fire. You can cook your food. You can stay warm. You can use it as light. You can do whatever you want. It's just communication. That's it, except it was HIPAA compliant. Um, and that was the game changer. And five years ago, we really didn't have any good tools to do that. So we were very lucky just hit at the right time. <laughs> Does that compliance officer at the hospital know that she <laughs> launched your international career and launched telemedicine? I <laughs> This is the most important part of the story. That hospital was our first customer, and they're still a customer to this day. Oh, yeah, that's great. <laughs> wow. That is a fantastic story. Well, I <laughs> really, really learned a lot about telemedicine and telemedicine for dry eye. I thank you both so much. Promise me, Rania and Bill, you will come back in the future when Absolutely. we ask you, which will be all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Informed Consent, Getting to Yes, is editorially independent content supported with advertising by Johnson & Johnson Vision.